This is Adam Griffin, and I'm joined today with Scott Ballard. I'm joined today with Scott. Hi, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm. This is Adam Griffin. I'm joined with. Joined with. <laughs> I just need to start over. That's joined not right. With. I'm sorry. I'm joined today. You're Bye. frustrated. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not frustrated at all. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm joined today by Scott Ballard, our technology director of the Village Church. How are you doing, Scott? Good. Good. I'm also joined by David Roark, who is our producer of this very show you're listening to right now and our creative resources director at the Village Church. David, how are you? I'm doing well. What's your correct title, David? It's creative and resources director. Ooh, Pretty I close. Dropped Pretty close. an and. I apologize to everyone. We'll, maybe it's, we'll the longest, it's the longest job title in the world. Can we so edit in okay. an and later so it sounds smoother? No. Okay, good. Let's move on. Thank you, producer David. Today's episode, we're going to be having a conversation with Dr. Russell Moore about artificial intelligence, which I, which I, I wish I had a little more intelligence right now. Sorry about the way this intro is going. And then we'll also be talking about virtual reality. And these things may seem like they're future things, but they are really present things for us and, and right around the corner for others. So looking forward to that conversation. David Scott, you looking forward to it? Looking forward to it. Amen, amen. All right, let's get right to it. The conversation we're having today about artificial intelligence and about virtual reality to some of you guys may seem like Man, really obscure topic, but let me tell you a couple things. Number one, this podcast is about culture, and technology is a huge part of our culture. It's a big part of the, the way our people spend their days, the way they plan their days, what they're doing going forward. And I can tell you personally, when I first got into ministry several years ago, um, the, if you would have told me that teenagers would be able to post videos of themselves online or you would have told me what social media was, I would have thought, man, that'll, that seems really obscure. Or it seems like – and all of a sudden it was everywhere. And so things like virtual reality, things like artificial intelligence are kind of – for some of us seem like right around the corner or kind of subculture. But for other people, these are present realities. And so on a podcast about culture and the church, it's essential to us, at least, for Christians to be aware of these things, start to think through what are the what are the moral considerations here. So I'm excited about talking about this. David and Scott are on here with me today because they also uh, think a lot about these topics in particular, not just culture, but technology and how that affects them. And so I'm excited about having Dr. Russell Moore here because like Scott and David, but to a higher level... Dr. Russell Moore, his job is thinking about the ethics of what Christians have to think about in American culture. As the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, he kind of sets the tone for and does research on what the church needs to be thinking and talking about. So Dr. Russell Moore, he is an author. He's a speaker. He's the president of the ERLC, like I mentioned. He's also written a number of books, including Tempted and Tried, Adopted for Life, and his most recent book, Onward. As a church, we've been blessed by the leadership of Dr. Russell Moore in so many ways, in politics, pop culture. And so the conversation that we got to have with Russell Moore, will be kind of playing back his responses to some questions we threw his way and then discussing them here on the podcast. So up first, we talked to Dr. Moore about technology, just what is a biblical view and understanding of technology. Dr. Moore, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Before we jump specifically into 
you know, virtual reality, that getting that specific or even artificial intelligence, I thought it'd be really helpful for our listeners just to start with a basic theology of technology. You know, and I'm talking, when I say technology, I'm, I'm thinking sort of the whole spectrum of computers, cell phones, and I know you can even, you can even get more broad and go, you know, like tools and things like that. Books are technically a technology, but I'm really thinking about technology in terms of digital spaces. How, how should we as Christians view technology in general? Like, where does it fit into the biblical story from your perspective? Well, I think that technology, or the, the promise of technology, uh, starts in the biblical story as, as soon as human beings come on the scene, because the, the mandate that God gives to the, the, the man and the woman is to subdue the earth, to take dominion over it, which uh, in, the, in the biblical story is not uh, some sort of uh, exercise of raw power. It's to tend and to cultivate uh, the garden. That, that's an act of technology, because one is, is taking the creation and shaping and forming the creation uh, toward an end. So if you think about the difference between the way uh, that humanity deals with the creation from the way that God deals with the creation, if God speaks and uh, everything comes into existence, and that which is visible is made out of that which is invisible, as Hebrews says. But humanity uh, does something different. We, we image God, but we image God with, um, with the, the creation that we're given, with the givenness of, of creation. So the, the technology uh, starts with a very positive uh, view uh, of, its, of its promise, but like everything else, uh, after the fall, we end up with something that can be used uh, for for horrific ends. So just as um, Adam uh, cultivating the ground or Eve uh, gardening and, and farming, this is this is seen as good. Um, it's technology, uh, probably uh, that that Cain uses to to kill Abel and. Then certainly we see technology with the Tower of Babel, where you have uh, people who are building something. There's nothing wrong with building uh, in Scripture, um, but they're building something that turns into an idolatrous sort of grasping of, uh, of God's power and seeking to use technology in order to harness God. And, and that's where we see God really uh, standing against uh, the, the use of technology in a way that is that is ultimately devilish. So I think when we're, look, when we're looking at technology, we're thinking about digital technology or uh, other forms of, of technology that are emerging around us. We have to recognize that there's often sort of an intertwining of great promise, great uh, opportunity for good, with fallenness and great opportunity for for evil. And, and we've seen that in in any technology that we've that we've ever had, I mean, you can you can use a hatchet to to uh, build a house, uh, to cut down trees to build a house for someone that's homeless, or you can use a hatchet to kill somebody. One of the things Doctor Moore is talking about, and it sounds like he's mentioned it kind of a couple times, the intertwining great promise or great opportunity for both good and evil. That there's 
this kind of um, morally neutral nature to technology. Scott, I know that you feel like sometimes technology can get a bad rap as if it is not morally neutral. You want to talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on that, about technology and how it can be the scapegoat for things? Yeah, I think, um, you know, at least as of late, the conversations I find myself in or, or just seeing online tend to make technology uh, the sort of object of our attack. Um, so it's technology's fault. It's social media's fault. It's all of these other things' fault that have to do with technology versus me looking inward at the sinful nature that was there, that's always been there, um, and sort of um, technology, all it does is bring that reality to my doorstep. So if I struggle with um, comparison or inadequacy as uh, a husband or a brother or a son or, you know, why if a daughter, um, you know, all social media does is just bring that to my doorstep. I can yeah. literally load a page and I'm inundated with photos and videos and posts about this person's doing this awesome today and I'm sitting in my living room wondering why I'm terrible at life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of a sudden, it's not technology's fault. Um, you know, you, you, can, um, you can start to just point your attack or your um, effort or your fear toward technology when reality is your your heart is the problem mm. you know you're 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 after something that um you know that uh isn't obtainable yeah and so you're saying the social media not uh, it's not that it's not a contributing factor it can actually feed these things absolutely it's like when uh when we would find a volunteer in student ministry might be posting pictures of them out partying and getting drunk. The the problem is not necessarily that they're posting pictures, although that is a problem. It's like, no, the, the problem is that you're walking a lifestyle not congruent with the gospel, Correct. and those are the things we want to get addressed. It's not, hey, you know what the problem is? Your social media account. No, the problem is your heart and your walk with the Lord. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I think you can say this about any cultural thing, whether it's technology, whether it's a movie, where, whether it's food. You know, God gives us these things as a gift to right. be enjoyed and through which we're supposed to give him glory, but then that can always be taken, our sin, the sin in us, and even sometimes the sin in the people that create these things. So they may be using materials that are inherently good that God's given us and they've created this thing that is is bad. So I think that it's it's taking something good and then running with it in a way that runs contrary to its intended purpose or its original intended purpose, which would be, you know, joy, human flourishing, all those things. Um, and whether that's because we want to be gods ourselves, or because we want to worship that thing as God and as ultimate. I think that you could say that about any cultural thing and technology just being one of those. The reality is, is that it's allowed us to bring clean water to places that hadn't had clean water. It allows families who are raising money for adoption to raise money for adoption. Mm-hmm. It brings really good things to the yeah. to the doorstep as well. And I, I think this conversation begs the question then, okay, if this is what technology is, this is how we're supposed to view it, then how should we approach it? When the next iPhone comes out, um, what should our posture be? Should we be skeptical? Should we be excited? You know, what is a good Christian posture. We've talked about what good Christian theology is of technology, but what what then would be a posture toward technology? Well, I think we should be skeptical of everything <laughs> because uh, we understand as as sinners that there's a way that our heart uh, would would cause us to go that um, that that's problematic, and we we also understand that there's a a sense in which the the direction of the herd. Uh, is is often in scripture, 
uh, seen as something that is is perilous. And so when a new piece of technology comes out, I think that the most important thing is to even be asking those questions. I mean, I, I think that what bothers me about the way Christians re- relate to technology right now is not that we're coming up with the wrong answers when we're saying, is this particular technology being used for good or is it being used for evil? The problem is that we're not asking those questions at all. We just assume them. And so in, in, in most places, you have people who just really aren't thinking about technology uh, at all. They may be thinking about, um, is this technology, uh, Internet technology, for instance, being used to download pornography? But what they're not thinking about are all the other aspects of the technology. What's, what's happening to my attention span um, as a result of this? this technology, what's happening to our sense of human connectedness as a result of this technology. So I find if you just have people who are willing to to ask those questions, they're already then 90% of the way there, uh, even when sometimes the answers are really complicated. Yeah, so at least we're not probably thinking about it, and at best we're probably just thinking about technology in terms of just pure content you know yeah. is the content that we're looking at on this device good or bad and if it's if it's not bad then it's fine right that's the way that a lot of people would look at it yeah and not really considering how this on a day-to-day basis this technology is changing who we are shaping our attention span the way we interact with other people that's kind of what you're getting yeah at, right? absolutely and 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 the sense of um knowing also what's happening technologically um, that we don't even think about until it's too late. I mean, the, the nature of technology, uh, especially when we get to technologies as complex as the ones that we use now, uh, the, the nature of that is that by the time it's unveiled, uh, it's, already, it's already developed. Uh, we, we don't see it coming. Someone stands up and unveils, here's the iPhone, and here's what the iPhone does. And, I mean, right now there are technologies that are being constructed and being uh, worked on, and obviously we don't know what those things are because it's a commercial enterprise, and those commercial enterprises don't want to reveal that for, for obvious reasons and good reasons. Um, and so we don't know what's being developed right now. And so what we have to do is to develop the sorts of intuitions in people that will recognize, wait a minute, what... what what does, what does this technology do to my view of humanity or my view of my limits as a creature or, or those sorts of things? We've got we've to have intuitions that are bigger than the technology or else we're, we're just never going to morally keep up with it. Right. And so let's talk about one of those specific technologies, which is truly on the rise. And I know that we're already seeing it in places, and I think we're going to just be seeing it more and more. So in many ways, it's already snuck up on us. It's already been revealed. And and that's artificial intelligence or AI um, for short. But mm-hmm. I guess before even sort of asking some questions and talking about that, let's just talk about a definition just for the, the average listener who may not be super familiar with this term. I, I don't even know that I am. And I've heard different opinions about what technically is artificial intelligence and what isn't and that some people are calling AI what isn't really AI. For you, yeah. what's a working definition of, of that term? Well, for me, I think artificial intelligence is a technology that um, approximates 
or gives the um, plausible illusion of consciousness and uh, thinking uh, on the part of a, of a machine. And so the, the people who would say, well, we really don't have artificial intelligence uh, are technically right if they're defining artificial intelligence as actually self-conscious, self-aware uh, machines. We, we, don't, we don't have that. But if we're talking about uh, machines that can approximate human thinking, uh, then yes, we have artificial intelligence uh, all around us uh, right now all the time. Anytime anyone is using Siri or um, I have, I was speaking at a missions conference and was given as part of the gift basket that they had there um, and uh, Amazon Echo, uh, which I had not purchased. I didn't think I would need it. I, mean, I have all sorts of other things. But since I had it, I plugged it, plugged it in, and it's become indispensable to me in my, in my home library. And so I can say, and did this morning before I came here, um, Alexa, what time is it? And the, the, the response is given. I don't have to even go find my phone or look at a clock. Um, she, she, and I see I'm saying she because <laughs> uh, I'm imputing to this device personality. And so when I say, Alexa, uh, play Waylon Jennings or Alexa, play uh, Ella Fitzgerald or whatever, um, this, this technology is, has uh, built into it the ability to hear those commands and the ability to follow those commands. And it seems seamless and effortless as though I'm speaking to another human being. Now, obviously, it's not. I don't have – there's no ability for me to hurt Alexa's feelings. There's no ability for me to um, violate Alexa's conscience or, or those sorts of human things. But the technology can, can give the illusion of a, of a real thinking person. And to me, I include that as a definition of at least a rudimentary understanding of artificial intelligence. First of all, I just want to comment on Dr. Moore's musical um, prowess <laughs> and his Ella Fitzgerald and Waylon Jennings you reference. like his taste? Yeah, and if you don't know who those people are, then you smooth. need to stop this podcast and you need to go listen to their music. And then we'll talk about artificial intelligence after that. Talk about opinions. I mean, there will be different opinions on the definition and what makes good music. Sure. I think if like anything proves that, it's comments on podcast shows, right? I mean, people have various opinions. Yes. Uh, there are various opinions on definitions on many things. But certainly artificial intelligence is highly debatable because it's also not a fully formed idea fully formed technology yet it's it's still on the verge in a lot of a lot of senses yeah and maybe again this is just another definition and it's not the definition but another way to think about it is like ai generally speaking this idea of a computer or software being able to reason on its own and develop you know feelings and not have this sort of continual input um, of human beings and and that interaction um, we're not there yet Um, i think that you know, many would say that we're going in that direction, but we do have all these devices. We have Siri, we have Alexa, we have uh, self-driving cars on the way, mm-hmm. and these things do have. They imitate human behavior. They're smart in a way that's different than what we're used to technologically. Right? Is that? Is yeah. That yeah. Well, what you're bringing up is really interesting because while we haven't invented a technology that can express these things uniquely and create it from within, human beings uh, and Tell me if you guys drive with this. Human beings have created 
technologies that we certainly develop emotional attachments to and certainly develop kind of the way that they imitate humanity has caused some uh, some stirring in my heart to go, I, I love this, I have an affection for this, or Alexa seems to me, even though she is not in actuality real, creates a sense of uh, conversation and communication that seems real. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that you see that in like a movie, the movie called Her, where you right. know, he falls in love with an AI device, his, his phone essentially, however you want to say that. And mm-hmm. it's it's this longing for community, this longing for connection. And I think that as these things get more and more um, close to, to to how we are and how we interact, you're going to see that more and more. Yeah, I, I would think. Yeah, and I think the one thing you read online is even from Christians and non-Christians, um, the thing that is agreed upon is that whatever is to come is scary. Now, when you get to the point of scary, you have some who feel like AI is incredibly awesome, yet there's so many unknowns that even a non-Christian would say, uh, we're kind of bordering on just kind of weird things. It's the same thing that if I would have told some of the things that we carry around in our pockets to my grandparents, they would have thought that's really weird and bizarre. So I think while the definition is real loose because no one really knows what it's going to turn into, um, the one thing is is we just have to remain diligent. And what I loved what Dr. Moore talked about um, in one of his previous answers is just building that foundation on how to evaluate whatever is to come. Um, because I think, you know, yeah, which gets to the next question that I asked Dr. Moore. And that was, you know, what, what he sees on the horizon right. as, as it relates to artificial intelligence, maybe what we can kind of start to get ready for and start to prepare for and uh, start thinking about biblically. Well, I can tell you, I'm very worried about artificial intelligence and I'm, I'm usually the Christian in the room who is not worried. And so there are all sorts of uh, social developments or cultural developments that people are, or Christians are often panicked about, but, that I'm the one saying, this really isn't, uh, isn't going in the direction that you think it will. It's going to have a stopping point. It's going to have a, a cultural self-correction and so forth. But when it comes to artificial intelligence and some other aspects of technology, I'm very worried because I think we have a couple of things going on at the same time. We have technology that is exponentially uh, growing and and uh, leaping and uh, advancing in ways that we can't even uh, we can't even imagine. So you just think about the sorts of technologies that we have. Uh, that we have come to to take for granted. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you right now on an iPhone, and um, if my parents, when they were my age, had heard about an iPhone, they would have assumed it was witchcraft. That wasn't that long ago <laughs> in the span of uh, of human existence, and so that's that's developing exponentially. At the same time, that you have this. Um, this primeval sort of pull within human beings to go to Babel and to uh, seek to to transcend human limits in the, the the promise that the serpent gave to Eve. You can be as gods, knowing good and evil, and you cannot die. Uh, that is a pull that we always have going on around us, and that's. That's the promise that is coming uh, with some of these technologies. The idea that uh, human beings are just data, data 
animating meat. And so if you can transcend the meat uh, and you can just upload the data into a machine, then you can avoid death. Or the idea that since human beings are just biology and, and data, then that means that you can improve on humanity by uh, creating a humanity 2.0 in a way that um, in a way that could be very very dangerous uh, to human existence. So I'm I'm very worried about those things. But the problem is because they're so far out, um, even though it's, it's not that far out in terms of of years, but because it's not being talked about when someone says something like that, it sounds like science fiction. But I mean, 10 years ago, if we'd been having this conversation and I'd talked about uh, speaking to Alexa and, and saying, play uh, the following uh, songs, and the command is obey, that would sound like science fiction as well. So that's, that's what concerns me about, about these technologies. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like, you know, back to our conversation earlier, when it comes to artificial intelligence, it's not just a matter of content, but really the form of artificial intelligence, it could be argued that in many ways, you know, there's just a lot of sin wrapped up in that as you go back to Babel and think about a desire for control, a desire to sort of take things um, in our own power. Um, and, and that's not just wrapped up in like what these things are going to be used for, but like the actual devices themselves, which, which to me raises a question as you've thought about AI, do you do you think, or or have you been able to wrap your head around how maybe some of this technology could be used positively? You know, for the kingdom, is there even a place for that? You know, because we would agree that there is some technology that is so corrupted by sin that you know we probably just don't need to mess with, right? You know, like it doesn't mean that we're yeah. against technology. It doesn't mean that you know we don't think that technology was created by God, but, you know, sin can corrupt things so much sometimes. Do you think that AI is one of those, or do you feel like that there could be ways that we could use it redemptively? I think there are, there are ways that we can use um, limited aspects of AI in ways that are positive. And again, it, it, it depends on how broadly we're defining uh, artificial intelligence. And so the, the act of replicating or attempting to replicate human consciousness, human, um, human conscience itself within a machine is, I think, a very dangerous thing in and of itself, no matter what, uh, no matter what the machine is, is doing. But I think there are ways that, um, that a more limited form of artificial intelligence can be very good. But even those good things, we have to be ready for some some negative aspects of those things in the short term. So, uh, if if one thinks about, uh, for instance, the industrial revolution, uh, what what happened with the industrial revolution? Well, we had the ability to uh, to live in a much more prosperous uh, world um, because of the industrial revolution. Uh, people who might ordinarily have starved have not. Uh, but what happened was you had the displacing of farmers and family family farms. If you if you look now at the the move from a factory economy to a um, an information uh, economy in the United States, we've had a lot of disruption that's come along with that. That's ultimately good because it 
it, it brings prosperity, but in the short term, we have to be ready with some of the, the blowbacks and the after effects of that. So right now we see we have a, a huge problem with uh, communities that factories are, are no longer there and the, the communities are, are sort of devolving in many places into substance abuse and, and all of those things. And there's a tendency to blame that on free trade or blame that on immigrants or something along those lines when immigration and trade haven't caused these problems. Automation has caused uh, these problems. The automation is good, and the automation long-term actually uh, actually means an economy that can provide more jobs, but in the short term, uh, it can be very painful. And so if we think about, for instance, uh, self-driving cars, um, I'm teaching my uh, 15-year-old sons to drive right now, and as I do so, I realize my dad taught me to drive, but my sons probably won't teach their kids to drive because by then we'll probably have uh, self-driving cars. Well, that that's a great blessing um, because there are probably a lot of people who might ordinarily have been killed in traffic accidents who won't be. But at the same time, what happens to the people who, uh, when you think of especially men, all the men who, who make their living uh, off of driving, whether that's truck drivers or Uber drivers or cab drivers, what happens in that situation where you suddenly have a, a large group of, of men who are, who are losing their, their jobs? Again, that doesn't mean that the technology is evil, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it, but it does mean that we need to be prepared and to recognize that there's, there's some, some short-term consequences, even when the long-term uh, situation is good. So with artificial intelligence, I, I do think there are some things that, if we define it broadly enough, can be can be good and can be used for good, but there also there's also just a a tremendous temptation toward attempting to be gods. And to your last point, it made me really think about. We just recently had a conversation with Andy Crouch on the podcast in regard to his new book, The mm-hmm. TechWise Family, and you know he was talking about you know just the act of cooking in the kitchen. And what you see with the family, you know, you've moved now to, you know, a, a time where you can just pull something out of the freezer, stick it in the microwave, and then everyone eats dinner on their own or on the couch, spread out across the house versus, you know, back in the day, you know, you didn't have that luxury. And even though in some ways this is still a good thing and can be helpful for us, something has been lost in that, in that, you know, the, the idea of a, a mom, dad teaching their children to cook and there's the the idea of the stove and being afraid of the stove and, you know, having to learn courage and learning. I mean, just all the things that kind of happen there as a family in the community that's built that you just lose. And it made me even think about that as you were talking about your sons, you know, teaching them to drive, which I'm sure is, is a blast <laughs> and maybe not a blast in, in other <laughs> that's ways. One way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a blast in, on both spectrums. But, um, and just like, you know, what, what's lost, you know, when, when you don't, when dads um, and parents don't have that opportunity to even teach their kids that anymore. You know, it's, it's in many ways, like you said, great because, you know, maybe there will be less accidents as we have self-driving cars. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about things gained and things lost along the way with technology. So what do you guys think? Final thoughts here. 
on artificial intelligence before we shift the conversation to virtual reality. I mean, it's hard to top what Dr. Moore said. I think what his thoughts were really helpful. Anything yeah. anything we want to add here, though? Well, yeah, if the expectation is for me to top what Dr. Moore just said, I think Sorry. lower those expectations <laughs> pretty quick. Uh, just – I was I was reminded of a podcast we did not very long ago at all, just uh, with Andy Crouch, where we talked a lot about technology. And one of the conversations we had was: uh, is just because technology makes things easier, does that mean it makes things better? Particularly as it came to forming persons, which you can absolutely see now. That sense of easiness is not necessarily the central theme of what might be evil about the potential in artificial intelligence, but it certainly is an aspect of thinking about are we just pursuing ways that we perceive our lives to be easier and in fact walking into dangerous waters uh, with something that potentially sucks us further into sin or enables sin to continue. Yeah, so my final thoughts are um, really just the underlying theme of just being prepared and not trying to just ignore artificial intelligence if you don't truly understand it or you think the breadth of artificial intelligence really is just the movies that you see. Or, um, But the reality is, is years ago, if you would have told me certain things that are reality now, like the iPhone or the Internet, I would have thought you were crazy, and, um, um, and, and they're here and they're in front of us. And so... I think as a believer, um, to just ignore them is not only foolish but dangerous um, because they will be a reality. Um, there are people actively working on these things, um, and they will be in front of you. And again, I think the important piece that Dr. Moore continues to thread into the conversation is just forming a foundation in which to bounce these things off of. Yeah, thinking about it. it, yeah. it and it's crazy you know, how many people aren't thinking about totally. these particular things, and we're about to talk about virtual reality now. And it's just another thing that's it's on the horizon. It's going to be in our living rooms. It's going to be everywhere before we know it. But he's just pleading with us, and I think that that's a good word, is to think about these things and so that we have those intuitions, we have that foundation, like you just said, that we know maybe we're not going to, always make the right decision, but we're at least going to be thinking and trying and striving to be faithful and engaging culture and, and using these things to the way that, you know, God would have us use them. I think that that is what's really helpful and, and not just to be thinking about, you know, the content of them, but the devices themselves. And so the first thing that I asked Dr. Moore as it relates to virtual reality was just what, what does he think the end goal of VR is? Um, we can just say that for short in this conversation, but like, what does he think that those who make it, those who use it are trying to get at with it? Like what, what's the, the hope of what will happen with this technology? Well, I think that, that behind the quest for virtual reality is something that, that God created to be good, which is the, the creative uh, impulse. I think, I think there's, a, there's an attempt in the construction of virtual reality to do something similar to what someone does uh, when she paints a painting, uh, uh, an artistic work, depicting uh, reality, or the, the same sort of thing that that an author would do when, when he or she writes a book, creates a narrative, creates a, uh, a plot. I think that virtual reality comes from that same place. It's just technologically able to, um, able to represent reality in a much more, um, uh, in a much more uh, compelling uh, and sort of way that gives the illusion of being indistinguishable. From, from reality itself. So I think that's what's behind it um, and, and the drive toward virtual reality. And also, 
to enable experiences uh, to a broader range of people. So, uh, you, you right now, if if we wanted to experience Hawaii, uh, there are a couple ways we could do it. We could imagine what it would be like to be in Hawaii, which which gives us a little uh, little picture, but it, it, it doesn't give us the actual experience of being in Hawaii. We could watch a movie about Hawaii, or we could um, we could read a book about Hawaii, and those things would give us some insight, but we wouldn't feel as though we were in Hawaii, because only one or two of our senses would be activated at the same time. A virtual reality um, technology that could give us the complete experience of being in Hawaii, the sight the, in all of the dimensions around us, the smell of the salt water, the feel of the wind on our, our face, the listening to the sound of, of uh, seagulls overhead, all of those things could expand Hawaii out to people who would not be able to afford to get on a plane and go to Hawaii or couldn't uh, give up the time to do that uh, or who, who lacked the physical ability. Uh, to be able to make the trip. So I think that that's one of the driving forces behind virtual reality. And then you add to that uh, the, the sense of need for escape um, that's present in all of us, which is when I look at the uh, rapid rise of Internet pornography and uh, and video gaming, and by video gaming I don't mean recreational video gaming, but I mean the sort of situation where someone is devoting uh, 20, 30 hours a week to video gaming. What's behind both of those things? And I'm not equating them morally at all. What's behind them? There's a sense of needing to uh, escape. Again, that's at root level, there's a sense of escapism as good and right. Um, and, and necessary for human beings. But the, the direction uh, that we have gone in terms of a, a need for escape in these ways ought to alert us that something, something has gone wrong in, in the realities that we've constructed or the realities that we've been given. Yeah. I want to rewind a little bit back to something you were talking about earlier as you were talking about sort of the creative pulse that um, – this comes from, and maybe even there's an aspect of storytelling, a desire to tell stories and to hear stories and be part mm-hmm. of stories in that as well. With that said, you know, as you're talking about Hawaii, it sounds amazing <laughs> to be able to have that yeah. experience and, and have that before us. But at the same time, you know, I've read different things about um, the idea of what that has, the implications of that on the imagination. So I, and I even think about like children too, you know, as they're developing imaginations and creativity. So in some ways we're, we're establishing and producing this very creative experience, but do you think that it's going to affect creativity and the imagination? If everything is just available for us to kind of touch and sense, what does that do to our imaginations to really, you know, ha- not have that luxury? If, does that question make sense? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, because I, I think that we can, um, I think we can look back and see, several different advances in human technology that, that people would have assumed would uh, negate the human imagination that actually didn't, or, or at least didn't for one segment of the population. So 
uh, the idea of having printed books um, instead of having storytelling. That, that took something away in terms of imagination. But there were still people, at least in one segment of the population, who were still storytellers. Uh, the move to television, uh, the, the move toward the Internet, those have had costs when it comes to human imagination, but they didn't totally extinguish it because there, there are always those people who are able to pull away from those technologies and, um, and spend time in older uh, technologies that, uh, that give more room to creative thought. And so I, I, think there, I think there's always going to be a persistent drive toward the imaginative, but I certainly can't say that that's necessarily going to be widespread. All right, fellas, coming off what Russell Moore just said about virtual reality, any thoughts here in the room about, man, that, that a technology specifically or just in general about some of the thoughts he had to share? I, mean, I think the main thing that I want to say is just I think a lot of it comes down to intention, especially when I'm thinking about virtual reality. It's like those who are interested in VR or even video games in general, it's like why are you going to that thing? Why are you mm-hmm. using this? What is – what is the heart behind that? What is your desire? What are you trying to accomplish? And if it's seriously something that you just want to do for fun because you think it's enjoyable and it brings you joy and in that you can worship the Lord and bring glory to him, then I think that that's good. And I think I, I know a lot of people who play video games this way in a healthy way. And I would imagine the same would be true for virtual reality as we get more into that and see that more frequently is if, yeah, if you're going to it with that posture then I think it's good and healthy and it's it's a gift from God to be enjoyed. And I think even the stories in these games that we're playing and the experiences that we're having can can lead us to truth, to goodness, to beauty, you know, things that are of God. I just think it's it, – yeah, it just comes back to intention. But if, if you're running to that thing for the wrong reason – if you know there's a void and you're trying to fill that void or there's a problem and you're escaping that problem and going to to virtual reality or something similar to not deal with it but to really just be you know um to 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 not deal with it at all then i think that that's that that's the issue yeah and i, I would just personally say that i think the definition of virtual reality over the last few years is shifting um and the reality is um no pun intended there, but uh, the reality being that we've lived in or be, at least been surrounded by virtual reality for the last several years. And what I mean by that is uh, we're inundated with social media channels and news feeds and things of that nature that draw us into a reality that is not ours. Um, and so uh, I think just calling it what it is, the reason why social media, or at least I believe one of the reasons why social media is so intoxicating is because it's drawing me into a virtual reality. So, for example, I know what Chance the Rapper's little kid looks like. Beautiful child. I don't know Chance the Rapper. I've never met him. But I know all about his life because I follow him on social media channels. Um, And so why is it that that's so intoxicating to me? Because I'm placing myself into a life, into a friendship with someone virtually. So you're friends with Chance the Rapper is what you're trying to get across. Um, He's vir- using his hands <laughs> yeah. and creating, creating air quotes. Yeah, you can't see my air quotes there because we're, you know, you're listening. But, um, but, in, but in, in a sense, you know, there's things that you know about childhood friends yeah. that you haven't seen since you were seven yeah. or that you graduated with this person and now they're married and you know that they have three kids and two of them are daughters and one son and, 
and they have another child on the way. Like you're in their life, but you're not really in their life. Yeah, yeah. So you may not have cute goggles to put on to, to kind of transport you into their world, but you very much will find yourself talking in conversations like you are spending time with this person. Yeah, yeah, so you're saying that those things that's that's also a pseudo reality. It's it's not reality is what you're getting exactly. at. So it's it's the same category in totally. many ways. I, I feel like it is, yeah. Yeah, and if anything, maybe it's selective reality where you're only getting one aspect of their entire life, where you don't see Chance the Rapper's worst day taking care of his kid or his three nannies that do it. I don't know how that guy operates, but you see kind of slivers of reality. Yeah, and I think it can feed um this uh worry or um again back to the inadequacy conversation earlier. Um, you can see all of the highlight reels of someone's life. So we very much live in a highlight reel society. Mm. So we only see the good. We don't see the bad. You don't turn on your Instagram feed and see little kids um, or parents posting videos of little kids throwing up because they have a stomach virus. That's good. You know, you see them taking their first step and smiling all the time. Uh, and then so you can just start to believe that your current reality is not um, adequate or not good enough, um, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, totally. And I, I really appreciate parents if you can continue to not post those yeah, things. I don't, don't want to actually see, see the videos. That would be kind of gross. <laughs> I do think so. Several things, uh, several times we've brought up this idea of escape, this idea of virtual reality, why it's the create escape, or video games are a form of escape. Or you even hear people talk about books or talk about stories or talk about movies. Yeah, so is escape. escape is escape bad? Is it a is, is is there something wrong with that? So here's what here's what I think, uh, David. Since you're asking, since you're asking for me, Great I do question. think that there's a there's a subtle difference here because people, I think, outside the church will hear us talk about the culture and the culture of technology and think, well, it sure sounds like this church hates things that I consider really fun, uh, virtual reality or video games or whatever. And the, the truth is, like, Christ is not against fun. He's the inventor of fun, right? God has made fun. And so fun is great. I, I want to incorporate fun in the way I parent. And sometimes if that means we're playing Mario Kart on the Wii, I'm not against fun. Now, there is a version of fun that that borders on this idea of escapism that says I need to find my way out of my current reality as if anything that is difficult is not of the Lord. That's not true. God does not tell us to run from things that are difficult, but rather run into them, that the Lord would actually, for many times, bring us into difficult situations, or as a Christian, call us into difficult situations. So one, the Lord is not against difficulty. He is not for only ease. He is not for running only to pleasure and away from pain. But he is not also anti-fun. There is a lot of fun stuff that technology has to offer that doesn't, that is not escapism. But I would warn us against, or maybe warn us to discern, am I doing this? Am I running to this just because I want to escape my current reality? Yeah. Right? And I think that fun is part of what it means to be a human. You know, we talked about creativity earlier. It's just that idea that God created us to create culture, to cultivate culture, to consume culture like that. That is kind of just the human existence to have joy, to experience these things. It's just when sin, as you're saying, you weren't using the word sin, but that's really where sin comes into play. And that's when culture becomes something that it was never intended to be. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I didn't use intentionally because I don't believe in sin, David. I don't think sin exists, and uh, that's a virtual reality. I'm just kidding. Sin is a very real thing that really enters in all these conversations of if this is a morally neutral thing, what makes a morally neutral thing worth warning our people about? Well, it's sin. It's because all of us have this broken mentality about the world. So knowing all that, uh, talking about virtual reality, let's get back to that interview with Dr. Moore. 
What do you think about churches using virtual reality? I know this might be kind of a, a hot, hot button question, but you know we're already seeing it. Some of the big mega churches, um, you know, thinking about how virtual reality will work for online services and things of that nature. Is that okay? I mean, is it? What do you What do you think about that? Can the maybe a question is can the the gospel message simply be placed in any medium? You know, like is is that okay for us to do? You know, does it sort of transcend any medium to where we can do that? Do we have that ability, or or do you see some danger there? I see great danger there, um, and and I think that that's that's a danger that has presented itself long before uh, we we came to the point of virtual reality. I think that that's a danger. Uh, that has all we've already seen the wreckage of that uh, as it relates to, for instance, uh, video technology. And so I, I remember hearing when Mel Gibson did the Passion of the Christ, uh, really exuberant, uh, almost utopian uh, uh, comments coming from Christians. This is the most important development in the mission of the church since the death of the Apostle Paul, which is. You think about it, quite a claim. I remember sitting hearing yeah. hearing that claim, and it was because, well, people who would never ordinarily be able to listen to the message of the cross will be able to see the cross. Well, the problem with this is that uh, technology isn't uh, developing outside of the knowledge and providence of God. So, if God needed. Uh, video technology or image-based technology or virtual reality in order to carry the message of the gospel, then he would have uh, the, the fullness of time that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians 4 would have happened instead in a, in a more technological age. Instead, he gives the message to be carried through word, and and not just through word, but through word that is being preached and being spoken. And so I, I think that technology can cause churches to want to downplay uh, word uh, on, on behalf of image uh, in a way that, that God has already told us not to do. There's a, there's a, reason, why, uh, there's a reason why we don't build a golden calf to represent the God who brought us out of, of Egypt, because we have a word that has come from that God. And, and ultimately, of course, that word takes on human flesh and, and dwells among us. So I think virtual technology is going to give a temptation to churches that already exist, and the churches are already, in many cases, falling for. And I think the, the, the falling for that is not only going to be biblically wrong, it's also going to be, I think, self-defeating, uh, because people are already surrounded by uh, technologies. The, the, the church is the place where they ought to be in contact with something that is real. And that's especially true when you have a, a virtual world where anything can be artificially created. That's going to, br- that's going to bring with it a kind of cynicism. What can I trust? What can I really believe in? And so churches need to be a refuge from that rather than simply another extension of it. So I think there's some, there's some very key dangers that come along with this. So this is a topic that I would hope that we could speak to. One, we're a multi-site church. We do live streaming to our campuses. 
Scott's the technology director here. I'm the creative and resources director. This is our world in many ways. Sure is. And you know, you're at a campus of yes. a multi-site church, so you experience what that's like in terms of a screen week in and week out or most weekends. And so this is just something that I, I feel like we've thought a lot about in different ways. So what do you guys think? Do you also agree with Dr. Moore that this is potentially dangerous territory for churches to go down? Yeah, I certainly do. I, I uh, completely agree with uh, what Dr. Moore said. Um, I know nine and a half years ago when I started here, on my first day, Chandler told me, or he came in my office and he just said, Scott, whatever you do in this role, uh, don't ever feel the need to be driven by the next technology that comes out. If it gives us uh, opportunity to share the gospel further, uh, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for evaluating it and, and implementing it. Uh, but don't ever let it drive you. And I've just really, really, those have been uh, those words have been really like a cool glass of water uh, to me in this role, especially now as I'm overseeing technology versus then when I was in a much different role. Um, you know, and I and I think churches do need to be cautious. Um, I don't think churches need to feel the pressure to be driven into a decision of using a certain technology, a certain platform, a certain social media outlet that comes out. Uh, simply because, quote-unquote, everybody's doing it, or that's where our people are, or that's where the people that we're wanting to reach are. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the only argument in the, in the equation. I think, um, like anything, um, particularly when you're in a technology role at a church, my plea, with you, my plea with you is to just prayerfully consider the steps that you need to take as you lead these efforts of, um, of the technology department um, that you oversee. I love that. And there's been so much fruit that has come from our use of technology. And shout out to you, Scott. That's been a lot of your work. So thank you for doing that. We, we've heard from several missionaries lately, not only missionaries, but really people from around the world that come to the Village Church's website that find the podcast to be beneficial to their spiritual life or maybe find uh, the video cast or uh, even the resources that we put out. Shout out tvcresources.net. Mm. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Amen. Uh, But seriously, there's a lot of uh, not only people, individuals, but churches that benefit from the fact that our resources can be placed on a technology and shared broadly wherever you might uh, want them and not just have to be passed hand to hand. And so technology has benefited for us in many ways, uh, the spread of the gospel. Yeah, I think it's it's taking the time, doing the research, not feeling the need – you know, when the latest thing comes out to jump right into it and say, okay, gosh, we got to do this. You know, we got to start implementing this technology, but it's to have conversations, to look at both the positives, the negatives, and to think about, you know, is this something that we think can really supplement, you know, what we're trying to do here or do the, the negatives outweigh that, you know, is, does this come with too much baggage? You know, I know that our people are inundated with technology, with information. So is this a point in which where I want to implement this and I think it's going to be worth it? And sometimes that's yes for us. Other times we're going to think, you know what, I think this could actually perpetuate, you know, some of the idols in the lives of our people, you know, that this could be more problematic than it is helpful. And so I think it's it's being intentional about that conversation and not just feeling this need to jump right to the next thing, as you said earlier, Scott. Yeah, and admittedly, you know, as, as I would call myself a creative, whereas some people would call me a nerd, but I'll, I'll choose the creative <laughs> Are they title. The same? Yeah, well, okay. maybe. Um, but it, it is a struggle because you see culture driving um, really awesome things in, in different outlets and different technologies. And there is a pull to want to just implement that in the church. But like David said, you know, one of the, one of the great joys or the great 
uh, or yeah, the great joys that I have in this role is is really getting to sit with David and and the other incredibly talented men and women on our staff, and just considering what we're putting before our people, um, you know, and, and before we just flippantly put a device in their hand and encourage them to do certain things with it in the in the area of the worship center, while we're also asking asking them to quiet their soul and and really place their heart and their mind in a posture before the Lord uh, to hear a message and, and things like that. And and we can get into into that deeper, but I know we don't have time to do that here. But I, I do. I am grateful for the for the ability to stop, pause, and consider. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of pausing and considering, let's cut back to uh, Doctor Moore, and he's going to give us his final thoughts and some encouragement as we conclude. Well, I would say it's more important for you to build your intuitions uh, through Scripture, through an understanding of, of the limits of humanity and, and receiving those limits and being, being grateful and glad for your creatureliness. I think that's more important than being up on whatever the latest technology is uh, or, or up on whatever the next technology is. Because if you shape those intuitions, then you're going to be able to recognize um, what, what seeks to move in a, in a different direction than God's creation. Thank you, Dr. Moore. Um, just thanks again. Thanks again for, I mean, the fact that you can speak to race, abortion, adoption, and then you can come on today and talk about artificial intelligence and virtual reality sort of blows my mind. And the fact that we have someone like you, specifically in the SBC, is it's a gift. And we're just always encouraged by by you and your leadership and your teaching. So, so thank you for just sharing your insight here today, Dr. Moore. That's very kind. Thank you. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details at tvcresources.net. Next time, we'll be celebrating our 50th episode of the podcast. And so we'll have on Matt Chandler, Josh Patterson, and Adam and I will be here together talking about the podcast so far, celebrating some of the high points and the low points. So we'll see you next time. God bless.